This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 35, and we are recording on June 28th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Indeed, we are. And I'm sleepy. (laughs) Yeah, it's like dark and gloomy here. (laughs) It, it is. It is here, too. It's supposed to rain all day, I think, which is... And it's almost July, and how did that happen? I don't know. I, well, I'm kind of fine with it, because my favorite food is, is autumn food, and I've been really, like, just wanting oh. to watch football and eat chili for... <laughs> I thought you were going to say something about barbecue, and you were like, autumn. No, I just went an entirely different way with that. Summer food is too many vegetables. Yeah, and nobody ever wants to turn on their oven, and I don't have a grill, so I'm basically yeah, screwed. No grill. <sighs> well, anyway, yeah. welcome to the show. Um, oh my gosh, there are no notes. I'm going to have to wing it. <laughs> Send us your questions. Okay, so... Send us questions. This is a recommendation show, in case you missed that part, which means that you send us questions and we answer them to the best of our ability. And if we don't know, we will ask an expert. Um, And so you can send us questions either by email, getbooked at bookriot.com. You can tweet them or tumble them to us. Um, I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. You can also put your questions in the bottom of the post, or excuse me, every post for the podcast has a form at the bottom and you can put your questions in there if they are time sensitive please do let us know early on in the question or in the subject line so that we can get to them as quickly as we can uh we've taken a vow to answer all the questions so if your question has not been answered yet do not fret we will get to it eventually and i think that's everything i think i did it good job all right (laughs) cool all right we're going to so i'll read the first question and then we will do our first sponsor and then give you answers so our first question is from Brittany, and she says, My boyfriend and I take a road trip every year, and this year we're spending eight days camping and hiking in southern Utah and Colorado. We think it would be fun to read the same book while on the trip this year to give us something mutual to do in the evenings and something to discuss while we're out on our hikes. The only issue is that we tend to vary quite a bit in what we read. Um, I love literary fiction. I like slice-of-life-type stories with a lot of character development and an atmosphere excuse me, an atmospheric setting. My boyfriend, while he enjoys reading, only gets to about five or six books a year and needs something with a plot, a story that grabs you and can keep your attention. Can you help us? Yes, we can. Um, But first, we're going to talk about our first sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! So our first sponsor is The Invasion of the Tearling by Erica Johansson, which is uh, coming out from Harper Paperbacks. This is volume two in the Queen of the Tearling trilogy. The Queen of the Tearling, which uh, recently came out in paperback, which I've read and absolutely loved. And I've also read The Invasion of the Tearling, and I really like that, too. Um, this is a magical adventure, mystery, fantasy, science fiction, a little bit of horror uh, with a dash of romance kind of book. So it's kind of got a little bit of everything genre um, thrown into it. And there is there's some mystery involved, a few supernatural elements. And it follows a young princess who has to work to reclaim her dead mother's throne. She has to learn to rule over this really complicated kingdom that has a lot of social issues. Um, And she has this big bad enemy called the Red Queen who rules the um, kingdom kind of adjacent to the Tearling. Um, And they have a really unsteady truce between the two kingdoms that involves some human trafficking. And then uh, when the main character, the young princess, takes over the throne, she decides to end that. And then, of course, the Red Queen declares war on her. And she's this really powerful sorceress, so she's a really kind of scary, frightening um, sort of enemy. And uh, it's kind of... Entertainment Weekly said that the main character was kind of like the next Katniss Everdeen, which I, I totally see, and that I see why they would say that. But she's also a little bit older, so it's not necessarily a young adult um, trilogy, and it is a trilogy. The Fate of the Cheerling comes out in November on November 29th. Um, but the thing that I really enjoy about this is that she is very competent. Like she's raised to be a ruler, and then despite the fact that she ha- is raised like out like in the countryside, away from um, the kingdom, when she does take the throne, she's faced with these really difficult decisions that she like 
thinks through logically and then does decides what she wants to do with the information that she's given by smart people and then goes and does it, which sounds very basic for like a ruler of a fantasy world. But that's kind of rare, I think. Like it, usually in these kind of books, you get very tropey leaders who either make really emotional decisions um, or are kind of, you know, foolish for the sake of creating conflict. But none of that happens. The conflict is external and she's a really intelligent person, uh, character. So I really like her. Anyway, so that's The Evasion of the Tearling um, by Erica Johansson. And that's volume two in the Queen of the Tearling trilogy. And thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay, you want to go? All right. Yeah, I'll <laughs> go. All right. So my first pick for Brittany and her boyfriend is The Monkey Wrench Gang by Edward Abbey, which is kind of a classic of outdoors fiction, for lack of a better phrase. Um, Edward Abbey is a well-known conservationist, um, and he was kind of a radical. Uh, and um, and so The Monkey Wrench Gang, which was written, and I want to say this, yeah, first published in 1975. So like, fair warning, this book was definitely written in this. 70s like some of the personal politics are a little bit like mm. but I do I actually reread this book recently and I think it's worth reading um it's the story sort of revolves around a Vietnam vet who is like off his rocker uh named George Hayduke the third who is just like not really coping well with return to civilian life and he's always been an outdoors person so now he's kind of gotten obsessed with um the desert and they're they're being threatened by industrial development um and he is working this like you know rafting backpacker guide job and meets uh, a um like a dentist dude who's <laughs> on a sort of a sabbatical with his assistant slash girlfriend. And then there's the other wilderness guide um, who's a lapsed Mormon. And this they form a ragtag band of basically eco-terrorists. Um, they like, you know, like put sugar in the engines of uh, bulldozers and like redo all of the survey stakes so that they can't actually do what they were planning to do and like basically mess with the people who are trying to develop this land that they think should be preserved as wilderness. Um, and like obviously there's hijinks all along the way. Um, the characters are really kind of wacky. It's really interesting to see them interacting with each other and things escalate and escalate and escalate to this point where at the end you're like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? Um, so I think it's action-y enough for your boyfriend, and it's really, obviously, very concerned with the wilderness, which is where you're going to be. Um, there's a lot of talk about Glen Canyon, which if you're going to be in Colorado and Utah, like, you will be nearby. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think it's kind of like a perfect combination. Um, and Abby is a really good writer, and he, he so clearly cares so much about the wilderness that's described in the book. So it's a really interesting read from a couple different perspectives. So that is is The Monkey Wrench Gang by Edward Abbey. Okay, my first pick for you is Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. And I thought, I picked this one because I feel like it, you know, it fits your requirements. It's got an atmospheric setting. There's a lot of character development. It's also very plot heavy. But um, it it mainly follows a bunch of people who are hiking and camping. <laughs> and I thought that that would be um, interesting fodder for discussion because they're hiking and camping Hiking and camping. Dystopian yes, camping. in a post-apocalyptic survival situation, which uh, hopefully is nothing like what you will be doing. Um, but um, it's relatable enough, I guess. Anyway, so it is post-apocalyptic. The book describes the end of the world, which involves um, a super flu that go, you know travels through the population of the planet and kills off most of the population. Um, but then it does that thing that I really like in books where it's following a few different narratives. So you've got a, a couple of different perspectives and main characters that um, you're following through all of the events in the book, starting from the night that the flu begins to really spread up into what's the present day in the book, which is 15 years later. So uh, most of the book takes place... 15 years after the end of the world, basically, or the end of civilization. Um, and you're mostly focused on a character named Kirsten, who is an actress with a traveling symphony, which is what they call themselves. It's like a band of actors and musicians uh, and artists who are essentially just a small traveling troupe that are, uh, they hike and camp or whatever, and travel between the different settlements in uh, that have 
evolved basically in this post-apocalyptic world uh, because you know the survivors have come together and haven't recreated civilization obviously but are making little villages or whatever and this troop travels between those settlements performing Shakespeare and music um, because survival is insufficient which is the uh, quote from Star Trek that the troop kind of hangs on to as their motto Um, and when they're in their travels they arrive at a little town called St. Deborah by the water and they're traveling I think through the Midwest uh, the upper Midwest but while they're there they encounter, as so often happens in these post-apocalyptic settings, um, a prophet, a self-proclaimed prophet, who is very dangerous and violent, and one of his, um, like, not followers, but one of the girls that he's got trapped in his village escapes with them, and they have to kind of flee. So anyway, that's the main story, but the, the book itself is really about more about, and this is what I, I heard Emily St. John Mandel say uh, when I saw her speak once, is it's essentially a love letter to the modern world, which I think is an interesting thing to read about and discuss when you're, you know, camping out in the middle of nowhere or hiking through, um, you know, one of the more beautiful areas of the country and you don't have access to, you know, you're not going to be on Twitter, I assume, and you're not going to have a lot of access to electricity and all this stuff. Um, but the book is really about how those things um allow us to live kind of a higher life of the mind sort of a thing. So it's a really interesting book. There's a lot of stuff here to talk about, but it's also very movie, like the plot moves very quickly. So that's uh, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. All right. My second pick has basically nothing to do with nature. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a really, I mean, my second pick also really enjoyable. Oh, what? Go ahead. Oh, no, I said my second pick has nothing to do with nature either, so. Oh, okay, excellent. Um, so I feel less bad then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Tiger Man by Nick Harkaway. You mentioned Ready Player One, and um, Nick Harkaway is one of my favorite authors. He makes these, he writes these really great action-y, like literally layer action sequences uh, in his books, but um, there's also, the characters are really important and really well-developed, and I think it would satisfy both of your reading needs. So Tiger Man, which is his most recent novel, is about uh, Lester Ferris, who is, you know, was in the British Armed Forces, and um, he's sort of been forcibly retired after an incident to this island post that's supposed to be, like, a sinecure. Like, he's not supposed to have to work very hard. He's not, like, being discharged, but he's kind of being, like, put out to pasture. Um, And this island called Mancrew is sort of ideal because there's really nothing going on there. It's a former British colony. It's kind of in legal limbo. They're trying to figure out, like, who's in charge of it. Will it be self-determined? Will it be annexed by some other government? Like, who knows? And because it's in this legal limbo and its waters are really close to international waters. There's a lot of shady stuff going on on the island. But it all seems pretty harmless, and so he's kind of, like, ignoring it and sort of just doing that whole, like, I live on an island now thing. Um, and he's only really... He's made a couple friends, but his best friend is this young boy who is obsessed with comics, and it's, like, the thing that they bond over. And um, and then his friend gets into trouble. And violent things start to happen, and Lester starts to understand that maybe the sort of underground dealings that he thought were mostly harmless are not so harmless after all. And um, he sees his little, his young friend getting sucked into it and wants to save him and sort of takes on the mantle of Tiger Man, sort of by accident, but turns himself into a superhero, like with a costume and like a utility belt and the whole nine yards. Um... I will warn you that this is kind of a really sad book. Uh, The ending was just like a gut punch. Um, But I feel like there's a lot of good discussion here. And the action sequences are so good. Like, I... Okay, I will refrain from gushing. But they're so great. Um, And the characters are funny and smart and interesting. But the book is, like I said, very emotional. So there's a lot of good stuff going on here. So that is Tiger Man by Nick Harkaway. Okay, so my second pick is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro, which I, when I started thinking about atmospheric novels that had a kind of fast-moving plot, this was the first thing that came to mind for me. And I, man, I, I, even though this has been made into a movie and I feel like the plot is sort of well-known, I can't get into too much of it without really spoiling the big, <laughs> like, central theme of the book, which makes it difficult to discuss. But basically, you're you're following three kids, Kathy, Ruth, and Tommy, in a boarding school um, in the English countryside. And just like any, you know, kids in a boarding school book, there's a lot of cliques, there's a lot of, um, 
like conflict between the kids. There's jealousies and all this like petty stuff, uh, petty meanness and bullying. But there's also like really odd rules about how the kids have to behave and take care of their bodies. And the teachers talk to them in very strange ways about how special they are and what their um, adulthoods will and will not be like. Um, And so eventually you find out what is so off about the boarding school, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, even though I feel like most people know, but whatever, just in case. Um, And then you jump ahead in time when the the three kids, the the three main kids that you're following are uh, grownups and have kind of, they went their own separate ways and now they've kind of come back together in their adulthood and are looking back on their time in the boarding school and trying to figure out what they want to do, um, how they want to handle the situations that they found themselves in in their adulthood. And I know I'm being super vague here, but um, it's really heartbreaking. Like, it's a really sad, um, atmospheric kind of book, but there's so much to talk about, especially like the ethical questions that the book will bring up. Um, And I really, like, I feel like I'm not saying a lot, but that's all that I can really say without ruining... um, the book for you. So I'm not going to do that. Anyway, just like take my word for it, I guess, in the opposite spirit of reading Rainbow. Uh, so that's Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. It's really great, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's a hard book to talk about without spoilers. Uh, okay. Next question is from Jackie. I recently finished reading The Library at Mount Char and absolutely loved the fantasy, history, and absolute wackiness of it. It was so fresh and unusual, and it left me wanting more. Can you think of any books reminiscent of this one? So I was thinking about this, and then I remembered that my review of a book that I read recently was basically like, this book is bananas, so I thought it would be a good fit for you. Um, It's called Smoke by Dan Violetta. It just came out recently, and it's set in a sort of industrial but not quite modern England, where people who... The theory is is that people who have bad thoughts or doing bad things, they let off, like, smoke. Like, their bodies actually smoke. Um, and so you know who's a bad person by how dirty and smoky they are. Um, and on top of this, the aristocracy, like, doesn't appear to smoke as much as the commoners. So clearly they are, you know correct in maintaining their privilege and being, you know, poncy dirt faces. <laughs> I have, like, a lot of feelings about this. Um, and so the two main characters are at this boarding school, and one of them is a scholarship student. Oh, I've completely forgotten their names. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So one of them is a scholarship student, and he is fighting all of these stereotypes. He came to school late. There's this big scandal around his family, but he's befriended by a boy whose, like, family is very upright. Um, and they, they, you know, in the course of their friendship... Uh, and their battles with this, you know, the most popular slash awfulest student in the school, um, they start to discover that things are not what they seem. Uh, and they end up uh, when they go to, oh, Charlie is the is the um, the nice aristocratic boy. They go to his like family's home for Christmas. And um, it turns out that all of these things start to be revealed to them. And then they have to go on the run because they found out too much. Uh, And like everything basically explodes at the end of this book. It's really intense. And you, for a good chunk of it, you're like, what is happening? Like what is actually happening here? Um, Which I feel like is comparable to how the reading experience of library at Mount Char, you're just like, what is going on? (laughs) Uh, And so, (laughs) so yeah, so I I think they were calling it like just Dickensian speculative fiction, which is not too far off. Uh, So that is Smoke by Dan Violetta. Oh man, library at Mount Char. Okay. So what a weird, (laughs) I feel like we just recently talked about this. We did. Um, We did. So the thing about the library at Mount Char, I think that sets it apart aside from just the clear and inevitable WTFery of the whole thing, um, is that it's about how the fate of the world hinges on the decisions and dramas of a supernatural group of people who are existing in the world uh, in look normal, but in reality are totally bizarre and are actually like godlike and strange. So it's that combination of normalcy and weird supernatural what is happeningness that I think is what makes the library at Mount Char so odd and like singular. Um, and so I, I looked for books that had that same sort of thing. So my first one is The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. 
And this has that identical, like, innocent people sucked up into this really strange world that exists on the periphery of the actual world and upon which the existence of our reality totally depends. Um, but, but like nobody knows that it's happening. So, um, Holly Sykes is the main character of the bone clocks at the beginning of the book. She's like 15 or 16. I think she has this big fight with her parents and runs away. Um, and the thing about her, is she's not like a normal kind of bratty runaway kid. She's also, like a conduit for psychic phenomena. Um, and she's, since she was little, has been hearing voices that she calls the radio people. And of course, you know, her parents sort of write it off as like, kids have imaginary friends or like kids talk to themselves or like kids are weird. But these are actual mystics and psychics and powerful supernatural beings um, that are communicating with Holly as a kid and then as she grows up. Um, and she, of course, has no idea. So she goes, she like, runs away, she wanders kind of deep into the English countryside trying to feed herself and survive and all of this thing. And the farther she gets into the countryside, the more she starts to have like weird visions um, and strange coincidences and things that happen to her as she's traveling until eventually her world really collides with um, these, I keep saying psychics, but that's not even right. These like supernatural monster people (laughs) is like the only real way to put it. So there's this group of mystical beings. I mean, they're people, but, you know, a group of mystical beings, basically, um, who control a lot of what's going on in the world. And they're fighting with another group of mystical beings who want to control what's going on in the world. And Holly gets wrapped up in it. Um, And there's a bunch of really interesting secondary characters. My favorite one, who is a, like, middle-aged, struggling writer who um, can't hit it big anymore. He's, like, past the point of his career where anyone cares about what he writes. And he's just like so angry and bitter and drinks a lot. And he's a really great character. Um, and the book travels so far. Like you, you're in Manhattan for a while. You're in the Australian bush in like the 18th century or the 19th century, I think for a while, the Swiss Alps and like medieval times. It's so large and sweeping, which is a thing that David Mitchell, of course, is really good at um, and weird, um, violent in a lot of the same ways as the Library of Mount Char, although not to such an extent. Very little is as violent uh, to such an extent as Library of Mount Char. But it hits a lot of those same notes um, that I think make the Library of Mount Char so interesting. So that's The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. All right. My second pick I picked because I felt like when I read it, it was really fresh and unusual and not something that I had seen before, which you mentioned in your question. It's Santa Olivia by Jacqueline Carey, which is sort of a combo of like superhero slash werewolf stuff, (laughs) but in a way that is really surprising. Um, So the main character, Lou Garan, is born and raised in this sort of disenfranchised town next to a military base inside a buffer zone between Texas and Mexico. Weirdly relevant at the moment, actually, uh, which I had not thought of. Um, And her father was one of this group of men who turned out to be, like, genetically manipulated and used by the government as a weapon. Um, And they, like, have all these extra powers, and she kind of has inherited some of them and is struggling to grow up as a normal kid when this is her legacy. Uh, And plus, she's in, like, a really strange place geographically, so there's all of these growing up problems. And then her mother dies, um, and she goes to live with a bunch of other orphans at the parish church, and their lives are not great. Um, And they... they, uh, But in the meantime, there's this... um, person doing like good deeds around town and they the orphans decide to like be the support team for this sort of masked superhero um and it is lou which you find out like almost immediately that's not a spoiler um and then but it turns out she has to unmask herself to like try to help save her town so i think what's interesting about this book is that carrie is using a lot of very sort of common elements like genetic experiments in the military and mass vigilantes but the way she's put it back together is really surprising and fun um and there's also a ton of boxing in this book which i kind of love i like have a i have a real love for books that incorporate boxing or martial arts into them and this is one of the ones that i really enjoy uh so that is santa olivia by jacqueline carey Okay, part two of Amanda recommends books about secret organizations on the fringe of society <laughs> is Lexicon by Max Berry. Um, so, man, these books are so weird. <laughs> the more I like think about it, the more I'm like, where are these people? Like these authors' minds are just an odd, 
They're odd. Anyway, so uh, Emily is the name of the main character in Lexicon. She's an orphan who is, like, running a card-sharking game on the streets uh, to survive. And she gets, uh, she kind of, like, attracts the attention of a boarding school official who, like, wants her to come and join his boarding school. And she doesn't know why. And, of course, she has that, like, street-smart orphan thing where she assumes she's going to be, like, sold off into human trafficking or whatever. But then she, for some reason, I mean, reasons that you see when you read the book, decides to go. So she enters this school. She's, like, flown across the country um, and is admitted, passes the the, uh, entrance exams and is admitted uh, and is taught... Very, she's not taught like math, science, all that stuff. She's taught how to use language to manipulate people's feelings and control their thoughts, basically. And so everyone who graduates from this school calls themselves a poet. Like that's what they, like instead of assassin or whatever, they call themselves poets. And they adopt the names of poets um, to conceal their own identity. So like there's an Elliot, there's a Bronte, there's a Wolf, that kind of thing. Um, she makes a big mistake when she's at the school and is kicked out and, you know, wants to exact her revenge. So you're following her story. Then you're also following the story of a man named Will, who is kind of just like bopping along, living his life. And then he's kidnapped out of an airport bathroom by two men that he doesn't understand and is tossed into this war between the the, the two factions of poets, one of whom is led by Emily um, and doesn't understand what he's doing here. They're, they're, the guys are there to protect him and are trying to tell him what he did and why, why he's there, but he has no recollection of anything that they're talking about. So Emily and Will are both uh, kind of tossed together on these bizarre travels towards this town in Australia where something huge has happened that started this whole, this whole like catastrophic thing in both of their lives. So it's, I can't, you know, I'm not going to tell you what the things what what the thing was, but the narratives come together, and you start and you finally understand what is the deal with the poets and like how this organization of people on the fringe of society that actually control everything that happens in the world came to discover how to use language to manipulate people. And if you're at all in like bookish, which you are, um, the person asking the question, obviously. Um, so I think that you'll appreciate. That's like a fun. It's a dystopian thriller based on the power of words, which is a thing that, you know, literary people like. So that's Lexicon by Max Berry, and it is super weird. Godspeed. <laughs> okay, it's me. Um, what are we on? Question three. Okay, question three is from Taylor. She says, my best friend Amelia and I are going on a weekend trip as a seventh friend anniversary. Uh, which is a great word that I'm stealing. We're both big readers and would love to have an audiobook to listen to on the road. We want something on the short side if possible. If you could recommend something light, funny, and about amazing female friendships, that would be great, fiction or nonfiction. Um, we've read and loved Yes, Please, and Is Everybody Hanging Out Without Me? Um, and yeah, okay, that's it. I'm going to stop talking now. Okay. <laughs> My first pick for you is Rich and Pretty by Ruman Alam, which I was just texting about this book with my friend the other day, and she was like, is our friendship like this? And I was like, no. Um, but it's uh, the kind of book, you know, I use that story as an example to say it's the kind of a book that makes you really think about your friendships. Uh, it's about two women who, it's in contemporary New York, and they have grown up together. They became best friends when they were like 10 and now they're in their early 30s and they still consider themselves best friends but it's I mean when you've been friends for that long you can't help but start to notice the changes right so one of them is you know getting married and the you know other one doesn't really like her fiance and um that lauren who's the one who's not getting married sarah who's the one who is doesn't really understand her life choices she doesn't understand why she broke up with this guy she doesn't like quite get all of her what's going on and so the book is about them sort of negotiating these differences in their lives and in their personality and the changes that they've gone through since they first became friends. And I think it's a really interesting look at how... It's not frenemies exactly, but, like, there's things that you just don't say or do say to some of your friends, and you're like, what are the... But you just assume everything's going to be fine. Um, And then sometimes there's fallout and sometimes there's not. And it's just all of these really interesting insights into how we communicate with our our quote-unquote best friends and what does it mean to have a best friend and what does it mean to be growing up differently than you thought you would when you were 10 and all of these things. So I think it's a really good one. It would be a really fun listen to. The dialogue is great. So that is Rich and Pretty by Ruman Alam. 
Okay, um, my first pick for you is She Matters by Susanna Sonnenberg. And this is nonfiction, and the audiobook is about eight and a half hours long, uh, I think, if I remember correctly. And so this is a series of kind of essays about Susanna's female friendships throughout her life that have, like, sustained her throughout her life. So there's a... Including her mother, which is some some of the more interesting chapters. Um, So she talks about, you know, how, like, your first friend when your little girl is your mom. And her mom was a little... Um, well, not a little. Her mom was abusive and a drug addict. And she, um, the chapter about like how when she was growing up, she didn't realize that that was weird at all is really um, affecting and kind of heartbreaking. She talks about like her fir- her first friendships in first grade, the friendships that she made when she became a mom and how you um, like can find uh, like a tribe of other young mothers with with little kids to uh, to come together and like support each other um, through that really rocky kind of period of being a parent, Um, you know, and then like friendships through college, the friendships that you have that feel so important when you're in like middle and high school that fall away. Um, There's a really interesting one about a girl that she was super best friends with in like camp, in summer camp as an adolescent. And then um, like in her memory, this girl is such a meaningful part of her life and was such an amazing person. And then she lost touch with her as she grew up and then with the advent of Facebook she's coming back in touch with some of these um, girls who are now women who meant so much to her and like that weird awkward reconnection do we still care about each other kind of thing that happens with social media now which I find really fascinating Um, parts of it are sad parts of it are really really funny and amazing Um, but you'll find something in every essay to relate to which I think is uh, a really nice thing, especially if you're listening to it with one of your longtime best friends, because um, there are so many aspects of female friendship and so many different versions of it that we experience as we grow up that um, it, I think it'll give you a lot to talk about on your, your friend anniversary getaway. Uh, and Sonnenberg is a really great writer. She does that. that um, She does like surgery with a sentence, get really like precisely gets to the heart of a thing, which I appreciate. So that's She Matters, A Life in Friendships by Susanna Sonnenberg. All right. I forgot to say that Rich and Pretty as an audiobook is about 10 hours and 45 minutes, so a little on the long side, but it's close to what you asked for. Um, and my next pick is slightly under. It's 7 hours and 32 minutes. I tried, you guys. I tried. <laughs> um, and it's Friendship by Emily Gould, which is, as you can guess from the title, about a friendship. Um And actually, I guess it's similar to uh, Rich and Pretty in that the friends uh, in question, Bev and Amy, are also just like hitting their 30s um, and are starting to try to figure out what they're doing with their lives, which is, I guess, what happens when you turn 30. Um, I mean, I don't guess I know that's what happens, (laughs) but anyway. um, And they're in kind of different places. Bev is like still getting over this like years old relationship. Amy has like kind of cruised through life and has lived a little bit of a charmed life um, without trying too hard. Um, and Bev is like uh, barely making her, you know, finances work. And um, Amy is like doing okay, but she's kind of now her like bad decisions are catching up with her. And then Bev has this sort of fling with a guy and ends up pregnant. And they are. And, like, as a friend pair, as it were, who are in very different places trying to figure out, like, okay, what happens next, both to their own lives and to their friendships. Um, and I think the difference, the one of the differences that stands out to me between Rich and Pretty, which I recommended in Friendship, is that, like, they're, they... They function as a pair in a, in a way that um, Sarah and Lauren do not. Like, Amy and Bev are, like, really in it together and even though I mean they have fights and like things are not you know they're not on the same page in a lot of ways but one of the things that I loved about this book is that you really see the strength of their friendships shine through so it's less about questioning like how are we friends and more about like how do our lives shape our friendship if that makes sense um and I mean the this book is so awkward funny <laughs> like you mentioned that you liked um is everyone hanging out without me and I feel like this book will hit a lot of those same notes like there's just certain passages where you're like oh god it's funny because it's true <laughs> um like a little bit painful but in the good way <laughs> and some of the situations they get into are like a little bit bonkers which is really fun I like I feel like it's just a 
great road trip novel. Um, they even actually have a little bit of a road trip in the book. So I think it's a good one. Uh, I think it will be entertaining and also thought provoking. So that is Friendship by Emily Gould. Okay, my second pick is Anne of Green Gables, which the audiobook is like nine. I know. So this is it's like the cheesiest thing that I've ever picked in my life, but I, I love it so much. The audiobook is about nine and a half hours. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I don't need to explain Anne of Green Gables to you, right? Like, you don't, no one listening to this show lives under a cultural literary rock like that. But just in case, uh, Anne of Green Gables is about an orphan in Canada in like the Edwardian period, early 20th century, um, who is accidentally adopted by a spinster and her bachelor brother who are elderly. They're in their like 60s or 70s. They try to adopt a boy, but are accidentally given a girl. Um, yeah, to like help with the farm work and they decide to keep her because she's strange and lovable and then uh, the book and the subsequent books are just about her like her various and sundry hijinks which are all very clean and heartwarming like she accidentally dyes her hair green once this sort of she accidentally gets her best friend drunk but the thing that makes it fit for you <laughs> is that Anne and her what she calls her sort of like her bosom friend I think is the term yes yes yeah, her so bosom good, Diana, friend who is her neighbor um they grew up together and they are just the most whimsical and adorable children. And they grow up to be the most whimsical and adorable adults, which you won't get to um, in the first book. You know, the, the first book, I think they're still in ele- what's the equivalent of like elementary school, basically. Um, but they're just she accidentally gets her drunk on Raspberry Cordial. And that's that scene is one of like my favorite scenes from all yeah. of literature. It's so good and heartwarming. And I think it's a good fit for like. If you've been friends with somebody for a long, long time and you're going off to celebrate your friendship, I think that this is uh, a book about the beginnings of a lifelong friendship is a nice fit. So, and of Green Gables, go forth. All right, it is time for our second sponsor. And if you have ever been super awkward in front of an (laughs) author or a celebrity, you will appreciate this book. It is called I'm Your Biggest Fan, uh, subtitle Awkward Encounters and Assorted Misadventures in Celebrity Journalism by Kate Coyne, who is the executive editor of People Magazine. So one might assume that the executive editor of People Magazine is like super suave and jaded and like totally down with lunch with celebrities and doesn't even care. And that is not true. Um, Kate Coyne in this book talks about growing up just being obsessed with pop culture. Like she was a latchkey kid who kind of babysat herself with the TV. And so she lived in this world of like sitcoms. Um, And she opens the book with this really amazing recounting of an incident where she saw she was 13 years old and her mom took her to a play and Robert Downey Jr. was in it. And afterwards, they were like in the lobby and they saw him and her mom was like, go, go, go tell him you love him. Like no actor doesn't want to hear that you love their work, but she's 13. So she goes up to him and literally says, I love you and then stops talking. Um, (laughs) And then like he's really nice to her and autographs like a napkin and then she bursts into tears like it's a it's just an amazing sort of opening story for how she first of all got to her job like she started off writing for like good housekeeping um and doing gossip columns and then sort of worked her way up in the media uh, and uh, and and along the way met a lot of very famous people. And so rather than it being like a dishy like oh and then this author like gossiping about the the people themselves that she met. It's more about like how, what it is like as a super fan to meet the people you are super fans of and have it be your job and try to be a professional human while also like not being able to make words, (laughs) which I can super identify with. Um, And so, yeah, so, and she's, like, met everybody from, like, Neil Patrick Harris to, like, Charlize Theron and all of these. I know. I would fan so All of these. Right? I don't know. I mean, it's what this, like, reading this book reminds me of more than anything else is that time that I was at a party that Salman Rushdie was at, and I was, like, so unprepared for him to to be in the same room as him that I, like, skulked around the edges of the party for the rest of the night, like, eyeballing, like, side-eyeing him, trying to work up the nerve to say something, and I never did. (laughs) It was so awkward. Anyway, uh, (laughs) so if you like the idea of hearing the stories of how somebody who is a super fan, but also this is their job, met all of these celebrities and, you know, 
enjoyable, funny stories about that, uh, you will definitely want to pick this up. It just came out um, in June, and it is I'm Your Biggest Fan by Kate Coyne, uh, sponsored by Hachette Books. Uh, thank you so much for sponsoring the show. We are going to, I think it's next week, we're going to do something for this title on this site where we're going to ask readers to come tell us their most embarrassing stories about awkward <laughs> author encounters. And then we're going to like awesome. pick the best ones and have people vote for the most embarrassing author encounters. And I cannot oh, wait to nice. read the submissions. <laughs> I will just say to you all that you are lucky I, as an employee, cannot enter because I've had so many. Same, same. Although Amanda might win. I have, I have a lot. I'll, I'll tell a couple of them in like the, the post for that uh, contest. But yeah, so keep an eye out. If you've got embarrassing author <laughs> stories, keep an eye out for, for that next week. Anyway. Gonna be good times. <laughs> All right. Next question is from Amanda, but not this Amanda. Different Amanda. Okay, so Amanda says, I just found out that my work is sending me to Hawaii for three weeks in July slash August. Amazing. Yes, indeed. I'm so jealous. Uh, She says, but I'll be out there solo for the majority of the time, so I'm looking for some great beach reads to keep me company. I would like to keep the feels light and happy if possible. Fiction or nonfiction doesn't matter. Also, if you can throw in a title or two with a little Hawaiian slash Polynesian cultural flair or history, I'd dig that. Okay. So I'm going to keep talking since I'm already talking. And my first pick for you is This is Paradise by Apologies in Advance, because I'm going to have trouble with this name. It's by Christiana Kahakawila. I don't know if I got that right, but I tried. Um, anyway, it's a short story collection. And I, I will say it's a little heavier on the field than you have requested, but it is so good. I read this. I actually got to go to Hawaii uh, this year myself, which was amazing. And um, I read it on the plane home, and I it was... It was really great because, I I mean, I kind of wish I had read it before I had gotten there because it would have explained certain things like why is Maui just, or why is Kauai just covered in roosters? (laughs) There are roosters everywhere. Uh, I was so entertained slash weirded out by them. And they're loud. Like, they crow all night long slash all morning. Um, Anyway... Christiana grew up in Hawaii, and um, she's telling stories that are clearly based on her own personal experiences, but, you know, it's fiction. And they're all different kinds of stories. Like, one of them is about a young woman who has idolized her father her whole life, and he was involved in cockfights, which are very popular in the islands. Um, And she wants to, like, follow in his footsteps, and, you know, there's this big fight, and then she starts finding out some things that she never knew about her dad. There's another one about a relationship that's kind of disintegrating. Um, there's a couple that are really sad, like I apologize in advance, but they're so good. And they they really do capture this just sort of sense of what it must be like to live in a vacation spot. Like other people come there to get away from their lives, but you live there. So what is that like? Um, and there's a lot of different cultures melding in Hawaii. If you look at the history of it, and she talks about that too. Uh, I just think it's a really like a must read if you are going or have I've gone to Hawaii, you will see things and maybe some things will make more sense or you'll just really enjoy it. So that is This is Paradise by Christiana Kahakawila. Okay, my first pick for you is nonfiction. It's called Unfamiliar Fishes by Sarah Vowell, who is a hilarious writer of history and nonfiction. And this is basically um, a brief history book about how Hawaii became a state you know, in the United States, obviously. Um, Sarah Vowell does history really well. This is, you know, it's a lot of, there's a, a lot of research. Uh, everything that she has to say is backed up, but she also does not hide the fact that she's a little contemptuous of some of the characters. Uh, I mean, I say characters, but you know what I mean. Um, and um, she doesn't try to disguise her opinions about the things that have happened in history. So um, she's talking about like how in the, like in, I think it was the 18th century, yeah, the 18th century, the first missionaries um, came to the Hawaiian islands and how that was the beginning of the end basically for the, um, for Hawaii being an independent or at least not American um, situation. And then she follows that up through our various expressions of colonialism over the Hawaiian islands and um, how we missionaries specifically, um, American Christian missionaries specifically had a big hand in overthrowing the last Hawaiian queen, which kind of left the door open for us to eventually come in and, you know, take it over. So um, it's a, not depressing, but a little bit depressing just because um, colonialism is always depressing, I guess. But Sarah Fall is so funny and she doesn't cut 
the the missionaries who um, essentially came in to destroy society. She doesn't cut them slack, but she's also not um, overtly like she doesn't take them out of the historical context. So she gives them a little bit of grace, but it's also like she very obviously thinks that they were ridiculous because they were kind of ridiculous. Um, but I I didn't know before I read this book, I didn't know almost I, I mean, I knew nothing essentially about how Hawaii uh, became a state other than the you know basic stuff you learn in school. I didn't know anything about the last Hawaiian queen. Um, and I knew very, very little about uh, Hawaiian indigenous culture at all or the fact that like that, that they had a civil war before we ever got there I didn't know that at all um, so there's a lot of stuff interesting things to learn in this book and I think reading it on a Hawaiian beach would be super cool and it's a light funny history so it's not you're not going to get like bogged down in you know an academic sort of text so that's Unfamiliar Fishes by Sarah Val. My second pick is uh, The Last Dragon Slayer by Jasper Ford. Um, it's the first in the Last Dragon Slayer series, which I just love. Um, and when you were like, I want something light and funny and beachy, this was one of the first things I thought of uh, because they're just so much fun. Um, we've talked about Jasper Ford. He's just great. And this, when I first heard that he was writing like a series with a teenage protagonist, I was like, what? So uh, the story starts with 15-year-old Jennifer Strange, who runs an employment agency for magicians. And not like, like you know, slate-of-hand magicians, like people who do magic magicians. Um, but magic is drying up in the world that they live in. And <laughs> the magicians are all so old and cranky and crazy. Like, as you might imagine, a bunch of, like, wizards who all live together <laughs> in, like, what is basically, like, a wizard, like, retirement colony. <laughs> um, and she's, like, in charge of them, uh, which is crazy uh, job for a 15-year-old. But she's good at it. She's good at wrangling them. She's good at getting them to their jobs and back um, for the most part. And she's an orphan, so she doesn't know a lot about herself. Um, or I guess foundling, like she was found and she doesn't really know much about her parentage. Um, and then uh, the magicians, like the visionary ones, the seers, start having all of these visions uh, depicting the death of the world's last dragon. And dragons are the source of magic. So if dragons die then there's no more magic, which means that Jennifer has it out of a job, um, and the economy in this, like, magical Britain is basically crappy. And uh, there's all kinds of weird touches, like marzipan is this, like, addictive substance, and there's, like, mines. It's really weird. Um, and there's just all of these great little weird details that you start to notice throughout the book. And then there's this overarching plotline. You're trying to figure out, like, what's going to happen? Will she be out of a job? There's, like, there's a cute little romance. Like, she starts to have a crush on this guy, and things are a little awkward. Um, it just has all of these wonderful bits and pieces to it that come together to form a really enjoyable whole. So, and I recommend the whole series. Um, if you've read it, they're the next two. The end of the last one, I was just like, oh God, don't end on a cliffhanger. And it does. Um, so that is The Last Dragon Slayer by Jasper Ford. Okay. Um, my favorite thing to read on a beach of any variety is romance. They're light. They're often funny. The ban you know, the banter. Um, it's just happy endings like there's no sad you're just on a beach reading about two people being um you know 30 and falling in love and that's i think a great thing so my second pick for you is a kiss at midnight by eloisa james which i did in fact actually read on a beach in jamaica so i nice. i know what i speak <laughs> about this book um so this is the first in eloisa james's fairy tale series where she you know retells fairy tales, uh, takes out the supernatural elements and puts them in, like, Regency wherever, and they're all really great. But this is my favorite one, and it's the first one. It's a retelling of Cinderella. Um, so the main character is Kate, and she has a stepmother and a stepsister. Her stepsister is not mean to her, though, and her stepmother isn't really either. She's just kind of silly. Um, so the sister is engaged to be married, but needs her fiancé's uncle to, like, bless the union in order for her fiancé to get his inheritance. This is, like, complicated family rule. Um, so she has to go with her fiancé to meet the uncle, but she can't because she has... She got bit in the face by a dog and, like, doesn't want to present herself to the uncle as this, like, mauled girl. So instead she sends Kate her sister, to pretend to be her, which, you know, that could only go well. So Kate goes off with her sister's fiancé to meet her fiancé's, uh, to meet the fiancé's uncle, pretends, and trying to, like, pretend to be her sister to get the blessing, and she assumes that the uncle's gonna be, like, an old ogre kind of guy, but of course he's not. He's uh, only a little bit older than her, and he's quite handsome and foreign and has a nice accent, and immediately figures out that she is not 
who she says she is, and which is nice because these these situations in romance novels where like the misunderstanding about who's who lasts for forever and ever can kind of like irritates me. So they figured it out pretty fast. Um, they start to fall for each other, but this can't work for a variety of reasons. Kate has no money. The prince um, has a giant estate where a lot of people depend on him, so he needs t- to really marry somebody who can bring in an influx of cash. Plus, he's already engaged to a Russian princess who he's never met and who is on her way to come be presented to him. So while he and Kate fall in love with each other in his castle, his fiance is coming. So lots of complications, lots of complications. Um, and it's and all the secondary characters are hilarious. Um, and there's a really great godmother figure um, who's like this older widow who just has lost all of her F's to give about anything and gives the best advice. Anyway, she's hilarious. Um, the chemistry between Kate and the prince is really great, and their their banter is excellent. And anyway, it's just a perfect beach read. Very lighthearted and funny. Um, on a like, scale of no tragedy to lots of tragedy that romance can have, there's like very little actual tragedy in this book. So reading it on a beach, I think, would be great. So that's A Kiss at Midnight by Eloisa James. And that's my story. Oh, it's me. Okay, yes. Um, okay. Question five. This is from Melanie. She says, I love your show and was wondering if you could recommend some good summer reads for the beach. This is a thing that we're doing now. I have never vacationed at a beach <laughs> and would love your input on what kind of books would be good to read. I love Terry Pratchett, The Martian, and Douglas Adams. I love the tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek humor, but also an underlying depth that they sometimes portray. If you have a favorite beach read that you think is awesome, I would love to hear it. Welcome to the beach read show. <laughs> apparently okay i'm gonna stop okay uh my first pick for you which is i i think i don't see why you couldn't read it on a beach i haven't actually read it on a beach but if you love terry pratchett and the martian and douglas adams i think you need to read how to live safely in a science fictional universe by charles Yu, which is so funny and also very touching emotionally speaking um it's a time travel story but in this story time travel runs on grammar because why not um and it takes place in a minor universe because in this conception uh the main universes the major universes are where all the like big stories happen and the minor universes are where all like the minor characters live when they're not like being sidekicks in the major characters lives uh so (laughs) so there's a lot of like meta going on here which is really delightful and I feel like is you know Terry Pratchett is really good at that too. Um, and the main character, whose name is also Charles Yu, is a time travel technician. He goes around repairing people's time travel machines, and they're all like broken for stupid reasons, like people not reading the owner's manual, or like people like trying to get it to do things they're not supposed to do. And the clients are people like Luke Skywalker's son, who never gets to be in the books that he wants to be in. Um, and he has, like, a cranky AI companion and an imaginary dog, and uh, in the meantime is also trying to get his mother, who is sort of stuck in a time loop of her own accord, Um, and he is trying to find his father, who invented time travel and then disappeared. So it's a father-son story. It's also a time travel story. It's really got a lot going on. It's so smart. It's very tongue-in-cheek and wry, Um, and it's got, like, all of these fun little funky details that are just a delight to put together. And the ending is like very, I have a lot of feels about the <laughs> ending. So, so that's How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. Okay, my first pick for you is Seating Arrangements by Maggie Shipstead. And the thing that makes this a uh, great beach read is that it's um, hilarious, first of all. And it's about really, really wealthy people's silly problems, which the thing that I need in a beach read is uh, conflict is fine. Obviously, you can't have a story without some sort of conflict, but I need it to not feel like it matters. Like, I don't want to read about a child dying. I don't want to read about a dog dying. I need no death, really. Um, But like super wealthy people not liking each other. That's not real. That's totally fine. I'm here for that. And that's what this is about. So um, it's about the Van Meter family who have this big beach retreat on an island uh, called Wasqueque off like the New England coast. And their daughter, the <laughs> I love this so much. The husband and wife's their name are Wynne and Biddy because of course. And their daughter, um, Daphne, is getting married. 
Unfortunately, she is also pregnant, which is a bit of a scandal. Um, but they are planning this wedding. They're going to have the wedding on the island and, you know, the reception at their rich, their beach house and all this stuff. And it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Like, they've planned the whole reception and the wedding with this, like, precision and, that wealth can bring. And so all of the, um, what do you call it? Oh, the wedding party. The wedding party starts to gather at the house in preparation for the ceremony. And they everything just starts to fall apart. Uh, like, Daphne's sister has just been dumped by her long time, uh, the guy that she's had a crush on for a long time, who is also, like, the son of her father's business rival. Um, the father, Wynne, is in love slash lusting after the bridesmaid, like, his daughter's best friend, and they have, like, a weird thing that happens. There's all of this infidelity happening and misunderstandings um, and just, you know, rich people problems. And Maggie, um, Maggie Shipstead is presenting this, like, upper crust product you know wasp very waspy j crew new england family and all of their kind of seemingly silly problems but you know they're also human beings so um she's making a lot of statements about privilege and class and love and lust and all of these um you know very human conditions which is a thing that i mean while it's not the same kind of humor as terry pratchett or douglas adams it's still funny with a point which I think is sort of what you were looking for. Um, and so it takes place on a beach, so, you know, appropriate. So that's Seating Arrangements by Maggie Shipstead. All right. My second pick for you is I was thinking about what it is about vacation reading that I like, and I I was thinking about how YA is so great because it's, uh, especially um, science fiction and fantasy YA, because it's, like, emotionally satisfying and very action-y, but, like, you can pick it down and put it up if you get distracted by, like, a beach volleyball game, or you want to go in the ocean, and you want to come back and pick it up, but, like, it's not, like, really intense levels of, like, have to follow this complicated plotline. Uh, so Cinder is the first book in Marissa Myers's future retelling of fairy tales. So Cinder is a cyborg, because obviously, <laughs> and she lives in future Beijing um, with her horrible stepmother and actually really adorable step stepsister. And like her best friend is a robot that she built herself. Um, and she is a mechanic. She loves machines. She's like part machine, which is so she's always tinkering with her own cyborg bits <laughs> as well as fixing things for other people. I know it's like <laughs> anyway. Um, um, and she, the the prince, uh, is very, like, it's a future in which, like, there's lots of, like, media, like, socially media slash, like, pop culture, reality TV stuff. And the prince is super famous, and everybody's like, oh, so in love with him, he's so handsome. Like, even her robot best friend is like, oh my gosh, the prince is so handsome. Um, and she's just like, whatever, I have engines I to I have fix. bits to tinker with. And then she... <laughs> I have bits to tinker with. And she, but he comes to her shop because he hears that she is like the best AI robot mechanic. Um, and there's something deeply wrong with one of his favorite robots. There's a lot of robots in this story, obviously. Um, and and she's just like, she, I mean, she's flustered. He's a prince. And it turns out he is very attractive in person. Um, and in the process of doing this job for him, she gets sucked into these palace politics and then it turns out that she's not who she thinks she is and um the villainous in this story is the evil queen of the moon because of course and she uh is aiming to marry the prince and she one of the things that's weird about the people of the moon is that they've developed these psychic powers in the time in the generation since they like colonized the moon and split off from the earth peoples um and she's using her powers to disguise who she truly is and um and to gain political power. And so the, so Cinder like embarks on this quest to save the prince from the evil queen. Um, and she has like, it's one of the things that I love about Cinder is that she has zero time for like, for who she, people she feels are silly. Like there's this one point in which the sort of character equivalent of Prince Charming comes into the story and she just is like, no, <laughs> absolutely no. You are ridiculous. I will like not have anything to do with you. Um, so that's one of like, it's just, it is, it's so satisfying. It's such a fun read. Uh, there's a bunch of books in the series. So like if you finish it, you know, on the plane or like you can go out and get the next one right away. And they're just a lot of fun. So that is Cinder by Marissa Mayer. Okay, um, I also have a YA selection for you, um, and I want to co-sign Cinder. It's awesome. 
Um, and so my my second one is A Spy in the House by Y.S. Lee, which is the first book in the Agency series, which is four books long, I think. Um, and this is so much fun. It's a mystery. It's historical fiction it's set in the Victorian era. Um, and it follows a young girl named Mary. She's a orphan. She lives in the street. She's kind of a street rat. Um, in, you know, this very Dickensian London sort of setting. Um, she gets caught breaking into a house and is sentenced to die, uh, to be hanged by the courts. And she's rescued by um, the women who run a school, Miss Scrimshaw's Academy for Girls. So they um, pretend, not pretend, well, yeah, they do. They pretend to take in criminal girls and reform them and educate them and make them quote unquote decent so they can go out and be ladies maids or flower shop girls or whatever. I'm like doing a whole um, My Fair Lady thing here with the flower shop girl thing. Um, anyway, but it turns out that Miss Scrimshaw's Academy for Girls is actually a cover for the agency, which is an all female detective, private detective um, unit. And so she stays in this school until she's 17 and then she's sent off uh, to solve a mystery, four mysteries over the course of the series. Um, and one of them takes place in like Buckingham Palace and she saves the queen and it's all um, very um, fast paced and like kind of swashbuckly, but with a girl who's a 17 year old girl. And another great thing about the series is that Mary is half Chinese. So along with solving the mysteries of that are presented to her by her job. She's also trying to figure out like what happened to her parents because she's, you know, an orphan. She was an orphan on the street and she obviously um, looks like she's not fully English, but she's enough to, to like pass. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on there with race, but it's not the fullness of the book. The books are really just about a really smart young girl breaking into places with hairpins and solving mysteries, which I, I love a good mystery on the beach just because I'm the kind of like reader or I guess person where sitting on a beach is awesome. But after like an hour or two, I start to get kind of bored, even if it's like pretty and nice and relaxing. Um, so you can put your brain into this mystery and just and breeze through it to figure out who done it with a, with a bunch of really fun, feministy, great historical fiction characters. So that's A Spy in the House by Y.S. Lee. And we're out of time. All right. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our sponsors, The Invasion of the Tearling by Erica Johansson and I'm Your Biggest Fan by Kate Coyne. Uh, this, let's see. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My brain is like all over the place today. Uh, you, I hope you will leave us feedback. We thank you so much for listening. If you have any kind of feedback, good or bad, please do rate us on iTunes. Um, it helps other people find the show. It helps us know what you're thinking about the show. You can also talk to us on social. I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL on Twitter and Tumblr. Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the story. <laughs> we'll talk to you all later. <laughs> <laughs>